Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Shager. My guest today is Dr. Julian Cooney, Professor of Religious, Latin American, Middle Eastern, and North African Studies at the University of Arizona. His articles have appeared in the African Studies Review, The Black Scholar, The Journal of African American History, The Journal of African American Academy of Religion, the Journal of Pan-African Studies, and other noted journals and publications. He has a new book out called The Cost of Globalization, Dangers to the Earth and Its Peoples. Uh, Dr. Cooney is going to be appearing at Barnes & Noble at the Foothills Mall on May 30th. Welcome. Thank you very much, Amanda. Good to be back on my favorite radio station, KXCI. Thanks, Julian. The book is entitled The Cost of Globalization, Dangers to the Earth and Its Peoples. A pretty thick book. Maybe that's the first problem. There's too many pages to read. <laughs> but um, I'm not giving up on literacy. So this book is about uh, the impact of globalization and, um, and what has happened in the world since this globalization system or regime has been in operation now, let's say, you know, over the past three decades, and escalated, I would say, over the past decade for sure, uh, since 2000, the past 15 years or so. And it's, um, and, and the cost, and the cost to the Mother Earth, especially, and then to those who are on the receiving end of globalization, the poor, the working classes, the indigenous people, the women of the world, especially the working class women of the world, the people in prison, the ecology, uh, the impact on uh, climate, the instability of our climate, um, intensification of global warming, and, uh, and the quality of life that we're experiencing ironically in what is called, you know, this post-modernist, post-modern phase of, of, of human history. So the book is kind of a wake-up call to make people realize that we need to do things differently. It's a culmination of, um, I mean, all in all, at least a few decades of research and visits and talks and lectures and you know, tra uh, traveling through the villages and the barrios and the townships and the favelas of communities on Latin, in Latin America, in the United States, all over Africa, Asia, the Pacific, Europe, uh, around the world, and um, understanding that, you know, we've got, we have a serious crisis, a crisis which now is threatening our very existence not just as human beings, but all life on our beautiful but very fragile planet, Earth. Were there any surprises that you had when you did this research? Well, there were several in some sense. Um, uh, the situation is was far worse than what I had anticipated. I was just uh, reflecting on... Um, for example, the book has a lot of statistics about you know people in prison and what have you and so on. But let's look at just one statistic in terms of women. Um, women who make up just about half or just slightly half of 
the human population, the two-legged population of the world, have, possess only 1% of the Earth's wealth, of the wealth of the world. 1%. Um, and I, I, I continue to check out that statistic in, in, in several publications, especially in the United Nations and, and other researchers. I even checked it out after the book was published because I thought I had made a huge blunder. But this, this, this was shocking that we still have a situation where women who in many instances around the world, around especially the underdeveloped world in Africa and Asia, Latin America, who are often 70% of the agricultural producers producing our food, are reaping 1% of the wealth. I mean, and of course, all of us are, are, are born from women. I, I haven't met anybody yet who's born from a man. Uh, that would be a first. Of course, with all the stuff that's going on with genetic modification, we never know. But, the, I mean, it, the, the, this is the sad reflection of our disrespect of the Mother Earth, our original mother, and the women of the world. And globalization, as I was pondering uh, and looking at various accounts, uh, women in Thailand, you know, earning a, f earning a few pennies to make plastic flowers for sale in the United States. Uh, the plastic flowers are sold at, oh, I don't know, three ninety nine a bunch or something like that. And they earn just a few pennies, you know. So my book uh, kind of dovetails, for example, with uh, John Pilger, whose work you may know, John Pilger, the, the film producer who produced a, a film about, I think it was in 2005 or around there, maybe just before, um, called The New Masters of the World um, and about globalization, especially in Indonesia. And a very powerful, poignant, dramatic depiction of uh, a country with close to 200 million people where the majority live in poverty, eke out in existence, especially women and children, and work for these very large transnational corporations, you know, whether it's um, uh, groups like um, Levi's or Nike or you know, Adidas and so on, and just earn a pittance of what their products that they make are sold for, uh, products which they uh, would never be able to earn, uh, uh, never be able to afford um, with a monthly salary. So uh, these realities uh, that we're talking about, um, and I also reflect in the book on my own experiences in China, I taught in China um, for the past two summers and had a chance to you know, visit a number of places in, in Beijing and in Shanghai and in um, Yunnan and Kunming and Lijiang and, and so forth. And uh, it's a beautiful country. It's just a, a wonderful country, and, and, the, and the people are wonderful. Uh, the only problem is that China is now seen as the engine of globalization. Uh, and there was kind of a, a joke when I was in the Philippines last year in which they were saying, well, you know, everything is made in China. And so um, and on the first day, you know, as we have it in the Bible, God made heaven and earth, and thereafter everything was made in China. So, um, you know, the 
the, the side effects of this globalization system to look at the way workers, and I interviewed workers uh, when I was there, at the, um, the toll uh, that it takes on, on workers in China so that we can afford their products. They have to leave their families sometimes 2,000 miles away. Um, mothers have to leave their children, husbands leave their wives, wives leave, uh, leave their husbands and, and, and children be behind to, to come to Beijing, to come to Shanghai, to come to Chengdu, to these big cities, to work in these corporations uh, for long hours, live in overcrowded conditions. And th this is the, the typical lot of, of workers in China. And, and so, you know, this obsession with monetary wealth and the book talks extensively, especially in the first chapter, on the disparities between the haves and the have-nots and, and how deep these are. And these are, are, in, are in no way being minimized or reduced as we move on, you know, with this sense of time here, 2015. Um, global financial crisis, catastrophe, loss of $35 trillion in in 2008, um, no lessons seem to be learned. And, um, and my point is here is that the earth is not very happy about what's going on with her children. You know, uh, the statistic um, that came out uh, recently that, you know, um, we have a situation now where half of, quote, the animals of the world have become extinct over the past 40 years. You know, we're losing anywhere between 100 and 1,000 species every single day, in some sense. And each year, thousands of species are becoming extinct. And inevitably, of course, human beings will become a part of it. So my concern is, is you know, the, the survival of the human race. And when I say human race, I'm including all of the rest of the natural world because we all are tied in together. The plants and the trees and the mountains, the forests, the four-leggeds, the birds, the insects, the sea creatures, you know, all of the little bugs around creatures walking in the bellies of the face of the Mother Earth. I'm, I'm capturing their voices in this book and trying to sensitize and conscientize the community about what has happened and then to talk about how we can begin to now reverse, if we could, or undo some of the damage, because some of it is irreparable. You know, global warming, for example, you know, is here. And even if we stopped all the emissions today, the Mother Earth will still be warm for the next 30 years. Um, this is what the scientists tell us, and absolutely. So we are actually reaping uh, the fruit of our actions from the 1970s which is incredible to think about. But I also talk about indigenous peoples, you know, and indigenous peoples in Arizona, uh, the Chiene, the Chiricahua Apache, and the struggles with um, uh, Oak Flat, Apache Leap, Superstition Mountain, uh, 
the effects of copper mining, because Resolution Copper now wants to dig, you know, uh, holes two miles uh, long and a thousand feet deep, uh, right on an, an earthquake-prone zone, you know, a few hours from here uh, at Oak Flat, and destroying this beautiful ecology, this beautiful habitat of, you know, deer and and so many other creatures out there. Why is this land sacred to the Apache people? Because uh, it is a place where ancestral ceremonies have been practiced for from for time immemorial. For example, women coming of age, women conducting puberty ceremonies and beginning to uh, plan their passage into adulthood, go through ceremonies there. Crown dancers, who are part, an integral part of the spiritual cosmology of the Apache community, uh, have their training out there. So these are the places where there are spirits present, where people get revelations. And it's always been a sacred place for uh, the foundation of um, uh, Chiricahua Apache spirituality. And now all of that is under threat. You know, the water is being poisoned. Uh, Agent Orange, uh, we have arsenic in the water. And, of course, that affects us right here in Tucson, too. So, you know, uh, whatever is happening to indigenous peoples, whether it's in Arizona or in Dakota or in Iowa or in the northeast or the southeast, it doesn't matter, or any part of the world for that matter, it's going to affect every single person living on Earth. So uh, this is why we talk about the we. I talk about the we consistently, not them. We are the earth. We are the children of the earth. Um, just like I talk about people in prison. We are imprisoned by our attachment to materialistic things. We're, um, you know, we're attached and we're addicted and we're imprisoned by the cultures of capitalism, which emphasize hierarchy, competitiveness, making more money, uh, getting to the top, and overlooking the needs of those who are on the edge. We tend to try to moralize, oftentimes, and throw in some you know, condemnation of people in prison, people who are down and out because of drugs, people dropping out of school, the poor, women on welfare, children. I mean, half of the people in the United States who are poor are children. You know, what, what an indictment of, of our family values. So we have got to find a way of living with Mother Earth in ways in which we respect our ancestors. All of us come from indigenous roots. Oh, every single one of us have indigenous roots in the earth. And so we need to respect those relationships. We need to struggle to restore them. And we need to begin to find ways of sustaining ourselves responsibly, growing our own food. That's what I'm doing now, growing our own greens and having our little garden so that we're no longer dependent on genetically modified food that is perpetuated by Monsanto, which is now controlling the world's seed and food supply, so that, you know, we're not being modified ourselves and becoming zombies. 
and that we begin to live together more as decentralized communities. We begin to find ways of、uh, recreating new spaces as communities. Can we begin to do that where we have more self-determination, regardless of quote ethnicity and gender and sexual orientation and class and religion and culture and so on? Begin to live in these, you know, harmonious, peaceful communities the way we were meant to live, to be as human beings. So my book is is is、uh, really calling upon us to reclaim our essential humanity. With the rest of the natural world, to be responsible and accountable to our ancestors, to honor them and what they did, in terms of, you know, living conservatively, living to preserve for the next seven generations, and also、uh, reclaiming our spirituality, of respecting the earth, of respecting life, and moving away from this. Kind of distorted,、um, moralistic judgment of dividing the world on the basis of the do-gooders and the do-badders, or the you know the good folks, the moral folks, and the immoral bad folks, by dumping a whole bunch of people in prison. The book, the biggest chapter in the book, is on prisons. We have five percent of the world's human beings and twenty-five percent of the world's prisoners. You know, it's a multi-billion-dollar enterprise, hundreds of billions of dollars, tied into the prison system, and we're putting the poor. In fact, as part of a project, I go into the prisons and talk to people, interview them, about how they ended up in prison. And almost in every instance, there's some situation of a family background, one parent, poor, impoverished, economically marginalized, living in quote a ghetto. Or quote a barrio or a marginalized community somewhere, and seeing no hope, and then being forced to turn to quote crime, small scale crime, selling drugs, or whatever, and then not having a chance to attend a school because there's drug dealers and gangs operating between one school and another, between one's home and the school, impossible, dropping out of school, and then. Being forced to turn to a life of quote crime, but of course, you know, when we talk about crime, what about white collar crime? The book also talks about that. People on Wall Street making billions, you know, through the exploitation of those in the working class. So we need to look at why these things happen, how they happen, our own role in it, and the way that we can begin to forge. A society where there is、uh, maybe not a perfect society of justice, but more justice、uh, rather than more injustice, like we see with you know police brutality that the book also talks about people on on death row, people you know being thrown into prison for life without parole. Mumir Abu Jamal, an author of six books. I mean, I've written four books. He's written six books. You know. And and, but people are not not given the opportunity to redeem themselves, but just condemned. You know, condemned to perdition, condemned to oblivion, like being sent to hell. We need to do things in another way, in a more humane way, in a human way, 
in a way which expresses our fundamental humanity, our fundamental spirituality, our fundamental concern about life, the preservation of life, and not to, you know, have these shortcut deals. Because all of this stuff is short-term. You know, in my travels throughout the world, the resource that I found most wanting, as you well know, Amanda, right, the most precious resource, and it is for us here in Arizona too, is water. Californians right now are sacrificing, right now as we speak, not flushing their toilets every time they go to the bathroom. Okay? Shortening their showers. California, the world's richest state. I mean, this is a, a, a state whose economy is $1.4 trillion, $1.2 trillion. I mean, it's like number seven in the world. One state, the Golden State. So, water. The precious resource of water. Our lifestyles of consumerism, of consistent unbridled, um, irreversible industrialism for profit uh, and commoditizing and commodifying the earth, mining, is fracking, bringing down the oil price. Well, the cost of globalization is no water. You know, 2,000, 4,000, 5,000 earthquakes in Oklahoma, twice the number in 2014 since from 2013 because of fracking. Texas going through a drought because of fracking. And now they want to open fracking wells in California against the people's wishes. I mean, so, you know, because of what? Cheap oil? Because we need to drive more? We need to walk more on this earth? Take off our shoes and start walking more? Biking? Running, just, you know, getting back to the ways our ancestors lived. Living simply so that other life may simply live, in a nutshell. Very simple. And I certainly don't have all of the solutions. I'm not claiming that at all. This is a collective effort. And you, as a key person right here on KXCI, uh, public-supported radio, the voice of the people, so critical in beginning to get out the word. Our schools, what's happening with our children who can barely pay attention in a classroom? We're graduating students who can't read, you know, because they're so programmed into a computer or their iPhones or iPods or iPads or tablets, but they can't read a book. You know, and if you can't read, you're illiterate, which means you can't understand your rights. And your rights are then taken away from you. And then you're nothing. You know, so we've got to come back to the culture of literacy. Simple book reading. We need to start book clubs again. We used to have that. In fact, at the university, I, we used to have a book club every, every week. Read a book and so on, you know. And so I'm still old-fashioned in that sense. I always tell my students, too much of reading never killed anybody, as far as I know. You know, and so, but to use that in ways to share knowledge, we must 
we must struggle. Like indigenous people say, money is for sharing. You know, it's for sharing. It's not for hoarding. You can't take it with you when you have to depart from here, when you're on your last breath. You can't take it with you. It doesn't prolong your life. It's, it's fluid. It melts. You can't quantify life in terms of monetary value. So let's share whatever we have. And let's struggle to share. Because we've been raised in, a, in cultures in which our individual self-satisfaction, our individual economic benefit has been paramount. Now is the time for us to say, you know, yes, Julian Cooney is important, but I'm not indispensable. None of us is indispensable. You know, we're here because of the Creator. We're here because of Mother Earth. We're here because of our ancestors, our mothers, our grandmothers, great-grandmothers, great-grandfathers, and so on, who sacrificed. So let's honor them by doing things that can preserve this world for the next seven generations. The next seven generations. Our grandchildren's grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You know, can we see that picture? These are the challenges that the book raises and these are the discussions I hope that people will come um, to join on the 30th of May from 1 to 5 over at Barnes & Noble um, in the Foothills Mall, Cornerina and Lechoya. So it's been fun being here with you again. And I value this radio station a lot because um, it's community radio. And in an age where corporatization is strangling our very existence, our lifeblood, these stations become so critical, so very, very important. And so we need to continue to support radio stations like KXCI, the Voices of the People, community forums, um, and appreciate the diversity that comes along with that. Keep the culture alive and keep hope alive, always. You've been listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guest today has been Julian Cooney, professor of religious, Latin American, Middle Eastern, and North African studies at the University of Arizona. Learn more about Dr. Cooney at religion.arizona.edu. His most recent book is The Cost of Globalization, Dangers to the Earth and Its People. And again, appearing at Barnes & Noble at the Foothills Mall, May 30th from 1 to 5 p.m. Thank you, Amanda. Wonderful being with you. Thanks for joining us.